Well, good morning. Glad to have you all here with us. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we are thankful for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the Palm Sunday story of Jesus riding in to Jerusalem and what that means um, for our lives here today in America in 2022 in Danville. God, please open our hearts and our minds, our spirits to receive what it is that you have for us. We pray that you would move in our midst, that you would fill this place with your peace and your presence, that the enemy would not snatch away the seeds of the gospel that are planted, and we pray that we would have open and receptive hearts for what it is that you want to do in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who is Jesus? It's a question that the crowd in Jerusalem was asking in Matthew 21.10. Who is this? We're going to do a series in a few weeks on who is Jesus from Mark 4 where the disciples ask the exact same question. Who is this? And it's a question for us today as well. Who is Jesus? So I have some pictures that I'm going to show us of some different depictions of Jesus my intention is not to offend anyone, all right? So I just did some searching online. The more offensive ones you can find for yourself. These are various depictions of Jesus and how different people have portrayed him. So that is Korean Jesus. Chinese Jesus from the 19th century. Black Jesus. Classic Good Shepherd Jesus, the church I grew up in, had that picture on the wall. And um, I showed some of these pictures to some of our kids at the Hope Center. And I showed them the different pictures of Jesus from different ethnicities. And they're like, that's not Jesus. And then when I saw that, they said, that's Jesus. Like, no, not really. There's an Orthodox Jesus from an icon. Ethiopian Jesus. Jesus was a communist. That's a Guatemalan Jesus, Last Supper. And there's a collage of various depictions of Jesus. All right, you can take it down. Thanks. So... Jesus is portrayed in lots of different ways, right? And people think about Jesus in lots of different ways. One thing I will say about all of those is that those are true but incomplete pictures of Jesus. And none of them are entirely accurate, right? Because there's no drawing or photograph that we have, no artistic rendering from the first century that shows exactly what Jesus looked like. But I will say that those are all true but incomplete because, one, they all show Jesus in a body, and Jesus physically had a body. He had head and shoulders, knees and toes, eyes and ears, mouth and nose. He had a physical body like we do, and those pictures all show that. But they're incomplete because they don't show Jesus as he really was when he was here on earth in first century Palestine as a Palestinian Jew. So true but incomplete pictures 
of Jesus. But before we get into answering the question, who is Jesus and what that means for us today, I want us to go back and set Palm Sunday in its original historical cultural context. And I'm not going to spend long on this, but this is really important for us for biblical interpretation. Too often we read the Bible and we think, well, what's this mean for me? But that question lends itself to misunderstanding God's word, to misinterpreting it. And I know it's a little more work, but we need to do some study. We need to get the historical, the cultural, the geographic background and understand what the prophet was saying in the original context or what the original author was writing and trying to communicate to his audience so that then, once we understand that, then we can have the correct application to our lives today. And if we don't do that work, we can make the Bible say whatever we want. Like Jesus was a communist, or Jesus was this, Jesus was that. And people do this. You can look online and find proof texts from the Bible that support any and every position that is out there. And if we don't study the Bible carefully and properly, we can just make it say whatever we want to support ourselves and our own opinions. So we need to guard against that and guard against self-centered interpretations of the Bible. So I want us to go back and think, what would it have been like 2,000 years ago if we were there in the crowd in Jerusalem when Jesus is coming in riding on this donkey into Jerusalem? So if we go back in time 2,000 years ago, it's the week of Passover, the highlight of the Jewish year. Some estimates state that there may have been hundreds of thousands of pilgrims in Jerusalem, not just at the time when Jesus was there, but every year, to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Passover was the event when the Israelites remembered their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, when God showed up and used Moses to save them out of the oppression and slavery that they were in in Egypt, brought them out, and led them on their way to the promised land. He had judged the Egyptians and the Egyptian gods through ten plagues, the last one being the death of the firstborn, which is what Passover is, when they would kill the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost so that when uh, the angel came, he would pass over the houses of the Jews who put the, the blood of the lamb over their house. And every year, the Israelites would rehearse this story. They would remind themselves of what God had did for them, had done for them through Moses. And so this is the week of Passover, when there's this huge, massive crowd there in Jerusalem. More recently in Jewish history, in the 160s B.C., which we may not be as familiar with, the Jewish nation was under the rule of the Syrians. And there's a leader, an evil ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who was the, the leader of the Syrians at the time, and he was doing what he could to stamp out Jewish religious practices. And he even took the, temple, or the altar in the temple and dedicated it to Zeus, and some say that he even sacrificed a pig on the altar, which many refer to as the abomination of desolation. And so the Jews are again under the oppressive rule of a foreign leader. 
And in the midst of that, in the 160s BC, there is a family, the Maccabees. Judas Maccabeus is the military leader, and he leads a rebellion, and he overthrows the Syrians, throws them out. They rededicate the temple and all the parts of the temple back to God and purifies the worship practices. And then following this, there's a festival procession where people are waving palm branches, celebrating what God has done for them through the Maccabees and restoring the temple practices and restoring Jerusalem back into the hands of the Jews instead of the foreigners. So both of these events, the Passover and then the Maccabean Revolt, would have been in the minds of the Israelites at this time, as they remember God's deliverance from Egypt, as they remember God's deliverance from the Syrians. And at the time of Jesus, many are hoping for God to do this again, for God to show up, bring them deliverance, bring them freedom from another foreign oppressive ruler, this time the Roman Empire. And so they're looking for a savior. They're looking for a deliverer. They're looking for a Messiah. And there, if you study the time period, there were others, not just Jesus, but there were other wannabe messiahs who came up and the Romans quashed them all. They all came to nothing. So the Jews, they're in exile, so to speak, in their own homeland, and they're looking for God to bring restoration, freedom, and hope. And then we cue Jesus, and Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem with a military force that he's trained and gathered for years. They come into Jerusalem, they engage in fierce fighting with the Romans, they drive out Pilate and the Roman troops, and eventually they establish peace in Judea, and Messiah Jesus rules over an independent kingdom once again. Is that what happened? That's not what happened. But that story, or something very similar to it, is what a lot of people were expecting. Perhaps even Jesus' apostles, the 12 disciples, perhaps they were thinking that Jesus the Messiah was going to do that. Along the lines of Judas Maccabeus, only greater, that he was going to come in, he's going to rally the troops, and they were going to throw out the Romans and establish, once again, an independent Jewish state with the Messiah ruling them in peace in their homeland. But that is not how this story went down. As you heard from Matthew 21, and if you read the Gospels, you see that that's not what happened. So let's go back to the real story. The real story of Palm Sunday is recorded in the four Gospels. So in the midst of this revolutionary and messianic hope, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Passover week in the midst of this great celebration and huge, massive crowds. And he comes in riding on a borrowed young donkey who we think had never been ridden before. This was not a political revolution. This wasn't a threat, because if it was, the Romans would have done something immediately when Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem. But they they didn't think anything of it. Otherwise, they would have come and taken care of things right then and there. But the Jews, who remembered their history, they remembered the Passover story. They remembered what God had said and what what God had done. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, there are several times 
when kings rode on a mule or on a donkey in the midst of a royal procession, so some people make a big deal about the fact that, oh, he rode on a donkey, he didn't ride a, a horse in, but him riding a donkey probably was a sign that he was a king or the Messiah because there are other times when people had done that who are kings over Israel. So he rides this donkey down the Mount of Olives up into the city of Jesus, and the people were thinking, here is the Messiah, or they're hoping at least that Jesus is their Messiah, and the crowd is out there, they're waving branches, some of them are palm branches, and they're shouting, Hosanna, which was a cry of save or save us. A lot of people think it was just a cry of praise, like praising Jesus the hero coming in to Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, 9, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. A quotation from Psalm 118. They're praising Jesus. They're waving the branches. The hero has come, and they're thinking deliverance is near. And then if we read, if we see Right alongside this, Jesus goes into the temple and he purifies it, driving out the money changers and those who are engaging in business in the temple environment. And it's so similar to the story of the Maccabean revolt because a very similar thing happened at that time that some people were probably ready to take up arms then and there, join Jesus, and go out to fight the Romans. However, if we read the the story of Scripture, Jesus never takes up arms. He never leads a military or political revolt. He never fulfills the hopes and dreams of many Jews. He's another disappointing hero, snuffed out by the Romans later in the week, crucified as an example of what will happen if anyone tries to fight against Rome. End of story. Which is not the end. Because next Sunday we celebrate Easter Sunday. We know the resurrection. We know the true story of the Messiah, which we'll discuss more later this week on Good Friday and then next Sunday on Easter Sunday. But today, today is Palm Sunday. So Jesus rides into town on a borrowed, unridden donkey. This was not an accident. Jesus wasn't just tired and needed to ride a donkey. He was making a point. He was making a statement, a statement that John tells us his own disciples didn't really understand all that was going on until later. In John 12, 16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. What he's talking about is the prophecies from Zechariah 9, the story in Psalm 118 with them shouting, Hosanna. The disciples didn't fully understand all that was going on. Matthew 21, 4 and 5 says that, again, talking about Jesus riding the donkey, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The prophecy is from Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, and I want to read a slightly larger context from Zechariah. So it's Zechariah 9, and this is verses 9 through 10. 
It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The prophesy, or prophecy is, your king comes to you. Not on a war horse, but lowly and riding on a donkey. In fact, the prophet Zechariah says that the king will take away the war horses and will proclaim peace, not just to Israel, but to the nations. And he won't just be the king of Israel. Zechariah says his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah is saying he's going to be the king of the world. So Jesus comes in on the donkey as a king, and he is the king, the king of Israel. But the king of Israel, who is also the king of the whole world, and he is a peaceful and lowly king, not a warring, army-defeating king. So him riding this donkey fulfills Zechariah's prophecy, and it communicated who Jesus truly is. Jesus' disciples, the crowds, they all had their understandings of who Jesus was and would be, some of which was true, just like the pictures I showed you earlier. They had a true but incomplete picture of Jesus. None of those pictures are entirely correct. None of them are accurate. But they have some truth within them. Just like when Jesus came and was on earth, people had um, a partial picture of who Jesus was that was true and accurate, but they didn't have the full understanding of who he was and is. So let's think about us today, some true but incomplete pictures of Jesus in our lives. Perhaps we focus on one characteristic or one aspect of Jesus to the exclusion of the full picture. And the first three are all pretty similar. One is, Jesus is my provider. He gives me food, clothing, shelter. He meets my needs. Sometimes we think about Jesus and think about him as just providing for me. He just gives me what I need, but there's nothing more than that. A lot of times people think of Jesus is my blesser. He blesses me with um, a job. He blesses me with a house, a car, money. Oftentimes blessings are thought of in material ways instead of what Jesus talks about, blessings from the Beatitudes. But a true but incomplete picture of Jesus is just thinking of him as the one who blesses me. Another one is Jesus is my lucky charm or Jesus is my helper where I go to him when I need something, but the rest of the time I just go on my own way and don't give him any attention. My mom is sick and needs healing. Jesus, help me. I want to win this game. Jesus, give me strength. Give me favor to win. You see athletes wearing crosses oftentimes, and they touch them or kiss them for good luck when they're playing, playing their game. Three political ones. Jesus is a Republican where Jesus supports the morally righteous agenda of the Republican Party. On the other hand, Jesus is a Democrat. 
Jesus wants everyone to have their basic needs met and cares about the poor. And the last one, Jesus is a libertarian. Jesus came to give us freedom, and the government should allow us to make our own free choices. Some other two last incomplete but true pictures of Jesus. Jesus is my ticket to heaven. Jesus saves me from hell and ensures that I'll go to heaven. And oftentimes, people have that view of Jesus. They, they don't think about what he means for my life right now. I just can live my life however I please. I'm good. I stamp my ticket. I've been baptized. I'm going to heaven. I'll do life however I want. And the last one, Jesus is love. Jesus will always love you. It doesn't matter your lifestyle or the choices you make. He'll always forgive you. And oftentimes, this is to the neglect of the justice of God, and it ends up turning into a license for sin and self-pleasure. These are just a few examples of what I would say are true but incomplete pictures of Jesus. Because Jesus is our provider. He's our helper. He's our blesser. He's our way to heaven. Jesus cares about freedom. Jesus cares about the poor. He cares about all of life. He cares about morality in all realms of life. And Jesus does love us. The problem with many at Jesus' time, and the problem in our lives, is we often have true but incomplete pictures of Jesus. If we go back to Matthew 21, the crowds call out, Who is this? Or the people in Jerusalem call out, who is this? And the crowds answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Some thought Jesus was a prophet. Some thought he was the Messiah. Some thought perhaps he would be a political revolutionary. And the list goes on and on and on about what people thought he was. And oftentimes those thoughts were true but incomplete. Just like us today, we can have true but incomplete pictures of Jesus. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus for us? And today on Palm Sunday, I want us to focus on Jesus as the king. Because that's the essence of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah or to be the Christ. Jesus is the king, and he talked much about and he demonstrated the kingdom of God while he was here on earth and what the kingdom of God was like. And whatever else we might say about it, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, it was indeed a royal procession. As Zechariah said, your king comes to you. The king had come. And there's lots of words we could use to describe Jesus, but who is this Jesus? He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the creator, the Messiah, the deliverer, the savior, Emmanuel. God with us. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's before all things and will always be. He's our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. He's the good shepherd. He's our intercessor. And he's all that and so much more. The question is, though, is Jesus our king? Is Jesus your king? If someone examined your life 24-7, 365, would it be evident that Jesus is your king? Would your life, your words, your actions show that you're following King Jesus and not just living for yourself or your own selfish desires or living for pleasure? 
Is your life so different from unsaved classmates, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family? Is it so different that they can see that you're living in the reality of the kingdom of God, even if they can't articulate exactly that that's what it is? So let's think a little bit about what it means for Jesus to be our king. First, if Jesus is our king, that means we didn't vote him in. We can't vote him out. We can't overthrow him. Because the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not up for debate. It's a fact that he is the king. And the kingdom of God has King Jesus as the king. And on Palm Sunday and on every day of our lives, we ought to recognize that Jesus is the king. And if that is true, then our duty is his subjects is to submit. We have to fall on our knees in worship and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. We have to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Whatever he asks us to do, wherever he asks us to go, whatever he asks us to go through, Jesus is king. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Lord might take away everything from our lives, We might end up in a situation like Job, and our response is to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We need to listen to our Lord, our Master, our King, Jesus, and then obey. We need to submit. That's what it means for him to be the king of our lives. If he's the king, I'm not, and you're not. Whether we understand what he asks us to do, whether we like it, whether we want to do it, we need to obey and to submit because he is indeed a loving king and we can trust him. He's not a tyrant. He's not like worldly rulers, but he's a loving, merciful king who wants a relationship with us. What kind of king wants to have a loving relationship with his subjects. Jesus. Jesus is the kind of king who wants to have a loving relationship with his subjects. And Jesus himself said that if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. So the kingship of Jesus, our duty to submit, it's couched in the context of a loving relationship between our God And ourselves. Often at the Hope Center, there'll be some kids who we tell them what we're doing and they will say, But I don't want to do that. And maybe your kids have said to you one time or another, I don't want to do that. And I say, It doesn't matter if you want to or not, this is what we're doing. (laughs) And maybe parents, you might say that to your kids as well. But you know what? Sometimes we tell God, but God, I don't want to do that. We don't always want to do what Jesus asks us to do or to go through because it's often more difficult, more challenging, more costly. But it's a narrow way that leads to life, not the broad way that leads to destruction. It's easier to cheat or to lie. It's easier to steal. It's easier to indulge my sinful nature 
and selfish desires seeking my own pleasure, it's easier to just live for myself. On the other hand, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to admit when we mess up and make a mistake. It's hard to make things right. It's hard to do the study and work ourselves instead of cutting corners or cheating. It's hard to give away money and to be generous. It's hard to do the right thing even when no one else is looking or even cares. It's hard to give up what I want for the sake of others. It's hard to put my spouse and my children before myself. It's hard to love my neighbor. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to lay down my rights for the sake of others. And the list goes on and on. Sometimes we say, but I don't want to do it, God. (laughs) But if Jesus is our king, if he's our loving, true, perfect king, we need to obey him and to submit to him regardless of the cost or whether it's easy or hard because he loves us and we can trust him. Today, Palm Sunday, we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey as the king of Israel, who's really the king of the whole world. Not a distorted or incomplete picture of Jesus, but Jesus as he really is in all of his majesty, his splendor, and glory as the king and lord of all. So I have three Uh, words of challenge or response for us, depending on where we're at. First is, if you're seeking to understand Jesus or you know you don't have a relationship with him yet, my challenge is for you to have Jesus as your king. Not a true but incomplete picture of Jesus, but the glorious, magnificent, real Jesus who died on the cross, who rose from the dead for our salvation Jesus in all his royal splendor and power. My challenge is for you to surrender to him and make him the king and lord of your life and to ask him to come into your life and to start a relationship with him and then faithfully follow him. Second is, those of you who already follow Jesus, but maybe you follow an incomplete picture, maybe you fall into one of those um, descriptions that I outlined earlier. I ask you to to surrender your life completely and fully to him in all circumstances, in all ways, trusting him, knowing that he'll always be with you. He'll always love you and give you what you need. He'll always be there for you. He'll defend what's good, right, and true, and you get to be with him forever. We can trust him because, like I said, he's not a tyrant, but he's a loving, merciful, forgiving Savior King. And to embrace Jesus in all his fullness, in all aspects. And we'll never have a complete understanding, right? Jesus is too great and glorious for us to fully understand him, but we can know him and grow in a relationship with him and know more and more. So to surrender fully to him. And then there's some of us who have a relationship with him. We fully surrendered our lives To Jesus, if that's you, keep on keeping on. Stay faithful. Persevere. Keep growing in your understanding of Jesus and your relationship with him. And don't you ever give up. Keep on with him till the very end.
And I wanted to close with a psalm this morning. There's a lot of amazing psalms, and this is one of the ones that would be called a royal or enthronement psalm. It's a psalm that celebrates God as the king, and I've actually been reading them this week. There's a whole section there from about Psalm 95 to 99, but they're all focused on uh, the Lord, Yahweh, as king. And this one is Psalm 96. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are an amazing son of God, that you are an amazing Messiah, that you are a king who loves us, who came into this world to save us, to show us who you are like and what the kingdom of God is like, and then to sacrifice yourself on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead to show us your greatness, your power, your glory and majesty, and now you sit at the right hand in all that splendor, and we worship you and praise you. Please give us an attitude of worship and praise each and every day, shouting with that crowd 2,000 years ago, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We say Hosanna. Praise be to you, Jesus. Amen.